Well, turn with me this morning to the book of First Thessalonians. We'll be in First Thessalonians chapter five and verse sixteen. What do you do after you finish a large construction project? Celebrate. You celebrate. <laughs> Clean up too. Clean up's probably part of it, but you celebrate. Uh, and the book of Nehemiah offers us one such celebration. <laughs> Nehemiah twelve twenty seven says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Uh, the Israelite people, right, had returned to the promised land after being exiled. This was after the city of Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed, demolished, pulled down. And when they returned to the city, right, the wall is destroyed. It's demolished. It can't do what it was originally intended to do, and that was protect the people. Today, right, we don't build walls around cities because we don't need the protection they offer. They can't. They can't protect us in the way we, ways we need them to. But back in the days of uh, before tanks and before F-15s, right, uh, and and such things, right, they, they walls were helpful. Walls protected the people. And this wall couldn't because it had large holes in it. The gates were missing, so there was no way to stop an enemy invader, stop attacks from coming in. So Nehemiah gets there, and he gets there with the blessing uh, of the captive king, right? The, the one who holds sway over the land. And with great travail, he helps organize the repair of the wall. And so on this day of dedication, right, a great celebration is held. And we hear in 1243 of the book of Nehemiah, and they offer great sacrifices that day and rejoice. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So the people rejoiced, and they were so loud, right, that the noise from this celebration is carrying down into the valleys. It's carrying far away. And this is what you do when you accomplish something great. You rejoice, right? It's why we have graduation celebrations for instance right we rejoice we want to celebrate the achievement and the uh, completion of something difficult uh, and we do that in many uh, many fields right many areas but what do we do when disaster comes what do we do when life takes a turn for the worse and so today we come to Paul's letter of love to the church in Thessalonica and we find this truth the christian rejoicing always. So let's read our verse today. Let me take a real deep breath. It's going to be a while. First Thessalonians 5.16 says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. So Paul's written this letter, right? It's a letter of an encouragement to the church that he and the other missionaries were torn away from, right? Well, Paul and the missionaries, Paul uh, Silas and Timothy, they didn't leave the church willingly. They didn't leave Thessalonica willingly, but because of persecution upon the church, because of persecution upon them for preaching the gospel, they were uh, forced away. But this doesn't mean that Paul had ceased to care for them. It doesn't mean that Paul was like, well, they're a lost cause. No, instead he 
He loved them greatly and he wanted to see them uh, grow. He wanted to see them remain steadfast, to stand firm, to persevere in the midst of persecution. His heart was burdened with a concern for them. And in this latter part of this letter of love, he has been giving them some more general instructions, some general commands and exhortations. He has been encouraging them in matters of relationship, which touch upon uh, those within the church and those outside of the church. And now we have this brief but important command, right? This is a command. This is what we see. Uh, this is what the language is here, right? It's not, it's not a, um, it's not a suggestion. It's not a declarative sentence saying just, hey, rejoice. We rejoice. It's a command. Rejoice always. And so what we're going to do today, right? This is a very small verse and normally, you know, I take it and I would, uh, take the section of verses and break each one down and comment upon them. And so two words, it seems hard to comment upon, uh, but we'll, we'll try our best, right? What, and what we're going to do today is we're going to ask kind of journalism questions of this verse to try and understand what it is the scripture is calling us to do. Uh, so your journalism questions are your W's and H, right? Your where, who, what, why, when, how. And so we're going to be answering some of those this morning. Uh, we're going to be in a lot of different passages this morning. So be prepared if you're taking notes. Uh, there's going to be lots of references, and I'm going to try and repeat those so you have time to write them down. Uh, but just be aware of that. But I want us to begin with the simplest question first. And that is, what does it mean to rejoice? What does it mean to rejoice? And most simply, to rejoice means to be filled with joy. That is to feel or to show joy. So if, if joy is the state, then rejoicing is the expression of that state, right? Rejoicing is the verb form of joy. So it's the doing of joy. So what does it mean to be filled with joy? What does it mean to have joy or show joy? Well, joy is this emotion and action of positive pleasure or happiness. John Piper describes Christian joy this way. So this is his definition of Christian joy. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So it's a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So, right, it's this positive feeling deep within us. It's not a shallow surface level feeling. It's something deep within us and it's wrought in us. It's, it's done in us by God. It's located in God and in his works. So joy is found in our circumstances. And I want you to remember and think about this as we go along. Joy is found in our circumstances. What Paul is commending us to do here in our passage is to have this God-centered happiness. This is not to say that those who do not believe in Christ cannot rejoice or have joy. Right? We, we see people rejoice and have joy who are not saved. Uh, watch a football game. There's some rejoicing going on, especially if their team wins, right? If, there's, if their team doesn't win, there might be some lamenting. Uh, but if they win... There's rejoicing. Attend a political rally on the night when that politician has won, and you see some rejoicing, right? There's partying, there's celebration, there's there's loud shouts and singing. 
There's expression of happiness and maybe even joy in those things. But this brings us to the next question. So if, if rejoicing is expressing joy and joy is this deep, um, deep feeling, good feeling, positive feeling, when do we rejoice? So when do we rejoice? And in asking this question, I am not asking what time of the year do we rejoice in, right? I'm not asking what month do we rejoice? What week do we rejoice? What time of the day do we rejoice? I'm not talking about time. I'm talking about the circumstances we find ourselves in. Everyone can rejoice when they've won, right? We see that even in the world, but that's not just what the scripture is calling us to. The scripture is not just saying rejoice when you win, rejoice when you're up. Because Paul here says, right, that's the second word of our verse, always, always, not when it is convenient, not when it is good, not when your party wins the White House, not when your team scores a touchdown, not when you've gotten a promotion, but always. So when you lose your job, rejoice. When you are persecuted for confessing Christ, rejoice. When your husband is beheaded for believing in Christ, rejoice. And this here is the difference. When we talk about Christian joy, we are talking about something that transcends the present circumstance in view of a different one. And we're going to come back to that. What we're talking about is something that is wrought within us by God, in God, and for God. And in case you think I'm speaking as a mad person, consider this verse out of Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, listen to this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So for the joy that was set before Jesus... He endured the cross. Unless we think too little of what the cross is, because we're far removed from that time period, we don't see people put on the cross. And indeed, uh, in our day and age, capital punishment is about lessening the pain of the person who is suffering it. Right. So the goal for capital punishment today is that the person who is being executed feels nothing. That was not the goal of execution during the time of Jesus. That was not the goal of the cross. Indeed, it was quite the opposite. How can we make them feel the most pain? So let's consider Christ. He was beaten and bloodied. The skin was torn from his back. The thorns were driven into his skull. The welts and bruises from the rod he was beaten with undoubtedly had raised at that point. So every part of his flesh was sore. This Christ was then placed upon a cross. And the cross was designed not to kill someone with bloodied brutality. But rather, the purpose of the cross was to suffocate them. Right? It wasn't about bleeding them to death. It was about suffocating them to death. And so it was a long and slow and laborious process by which 
It came to the point where the person was so weak that they could no longer push themselves up enough to draw breath into their lung and then they would suffocate to death. But this was not even the worst part of the cross that Jesus endured. He who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf. Christ Jesus became the propitiation of our sins, bearing God's wrath for our sins. The worst of the cross was this, the divine wrath of God being poured out on Jesus. So what does Hebrews say? Hebrews says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured all of that. Rejoice always. Christian, rejoice always. Christian, rejoice, express joy in the midst of every circumstance of life. Paul says it again this way to the Philippian church in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Which if you don't know the song to that, me and Cynthia can teach that to you later. Sing that along. So in the good times, rejoice. When you experience the blessings of God, rejoice. Psalm 13 verses 5 and 6 says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. I rejoice that God has given to me a wife, something that I never thought could happen. He has dealt bountifully with me, and this is cause for rejoicing, right? Uh, This is what we do. We rejoice. When you see God blessing others, rejoice. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. When you understand something of your own salvation, rejoice. Luke 10, 17 through 20, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, but behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. That seems like cause for rejoicing. But listen to what he says, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When someone else is saved, rejoice. We have this example, this parable, Luke 15, 3 and 7. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Rejoice. When someone else is saved, the whole of heaven rejoices. How about you? And so, too, in the bad times, rejoice. When you encounter persecution, when you're accosted for believing in Christ, rejoice. 1 Peter 4.13, 1 Peter 
But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Or how about Matthew 5, 11 through 12? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you suffer, when you suffer, rejoice. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you come into trials, rejoice. James 1, 2-4. James 1, 2-4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How about this one? When you're disciplined by God for your sin, rejoice. Psalms 94, verse 12, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man who is disciplined by God. And why do we rejoice in that? Because it tells us who we are. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And when we suffer loss, even if we suffer the loss of everything, rejoice. Even as Job does in Job one twenty one, Job one twenty one, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave... And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So when are we to rejoice? When are we to express joy? When should we feel joy and show joy? And if you are in Christ, the answer is, the command is always. Always, in every situation, in every circumstance. But how do we do this? Right, Because if we stop and think about this, right, when we're in the midst of suffering, when our body is racked with pain, when we don't feel well, the last thing on our mind at that moment is, you know, I should get up and sing a song to God right now. So how do we do this? How do we express our joy? How does the Christian rejoice when the sword is raised up over his head, ready to separate it from his neck? And I know that seems like an extreme example, And it certainly is here in America, right? That's not something that we will likely encounter in our life if we stay here in America. But understand this. There are brothers and sisters in Christ 
who that is their experience. The sword is raised over their head. And the command to them is turn back, recant, don't believe, curse Christ, blaspheme God, or die. Will they in that moment rejoice? Paul's saying rejoice always. He doesn't give qualification to it. So for them, it's not a hypothetical question. It's a practical reality. So how do we rejoice? What does rejoicing actually look like? Well, let's look at that. That's the next question I want us to address is how do we rejoice? How do we rejoice? And we'll get to the point of why we rejoice in just a little bit. How do we rejoice? Well, in the midst of God's blessings of us or others, when we're in good circumstances, we can do all sorts of things to express our joy, right? The Psalms are great at directing us and expressing our joy. For instance, Psalm 33, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 33, 1 through 3. Listen to the direction we're given about how to express our joy. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So regardless of our musical talent, we can all shout. We can all shout. Praise. We give thanks. And there the psalmist says, give thanks with the lyre, right? Get out your instrument and play something to the Lord. Make melody. Uh, some of us can't make harmony. We also can't make melody, but we can make noise. Sing to him a new song. Part of Christian worship is the creation of new songs. Listen, hymn, hymns are great. I'm not denigrating hymns, obviously. We have the hymn book. But new songs are great too when they're rooted and grounded in the Scripture and the truth of God's Word. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. Give it your best. That's how we celebrate with joy. So we smile and sing. We get excited and we tell others. We shout. Mary, for instance, upon hearing the word from her relative Elizabeth, who was moved by the Holy Spirit, says this in Luke 1, 46-47. Luke 1, 46-47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And we have there in that passage in Luke 1, uh, what we call today the Magnificat. right? Mary's song to the Lord. But what she says there at the beginning, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. It within me, it's deep within me. It's not this shallow level surface happiness. It's something deep within me that moves me to rejoice, to express joy. And in this case, to express joy in song. And remember what Paul tells the church in Rome. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Guess what? Rejoicing is a community affair. It is something we do together. We come alongside one another and we celebrate God's blessings in each other's lives. And indeed, remember the broader context of our verse here in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, uh, or chapter 5, verse 16, sorry. 
Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when it comes to the bad that befalls us in this world, part of our response to be filled with joy is to go to God in prayer. Prayer that is in faith and in hope. So it's not just that verse... Uh, we're treating just verse 16 this morning, but understand that, that these are tied together. How do we rejoice in the midst of bad? We go to God in prayer. And we give thanks in all circumstances. We can only experience joy always when we're in constant communion with God in prayer. Right? That's what praying without ceasing is, constant communion. The Christian rejoices in the midst of suffering by locating their hope in another. Again, remember Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Or we could look to the book of Lamentations. And this is something that, that we don't often think about. But lament is a way that we express joy in God, even in the midst of the worst of circumstances. Go read the book of Lamentations and you see this. This is, this is hard stuff that, the, that um, Jeremiah is crying out to God, or who we presume is Jeremiah crying out to God. Uh, Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. Lamentations 3, 19 through 24 says this, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I'm going to pause there just for a second and say, Jerusalem is destroyed. The people of Israel are scattered to foreign nations, they're under subjugation, that it seems pretty bad. And you could presume at that point that the steadfast love of the Lord does cease. But no, this one who sees all this, who cries out, who says, the wormwood and the gall, right? These bitter, bitter substances. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, right? I'm, I'm bowled over. You read the book of Lamentations and he talks about how, how essentially his tears are his bread. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So what we do, we look beyond the immediacy of our circumstances to the joy set before us, and we're going to unpack that. How do we express joy in the midst of affliction? We sing, we lament. Right? We go back to Job 1.21, where Job blesses the name of the Lord. The Lord give. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
We ultimately, here's how we do it, Christian, here's how you rejoice in the midst of evil circumstance. You fix your hope in something greater. And so I want us to look at that in our last question, which is why do we rejoice? Why do we rejoice? It is natural for us to rejoice when we receive blessings, right? That comes naturally to us. When a new baby is born, what do we do? We rejoice. We post it on Facebook. We send Instas out, right? We make fun TikTok videos, I guess. I don't know if people, parents do that or not, but probably. They do crazier things, right? We rejoice. We get the word out. We sing about it. We shout. We, we rejoice. We don't struggle with the question of why we rejoice when we're talking about the good things in life, the good circumstances, right? Because that comes naturally to us. It comes naturally to us if we're unsaved or if we are saved. But it is not natural to rejoice always, otherwise we wouldn't have the command to do it, right? If we didn't need to be instructed on it, we wouldn't have the instruction on it. And think again of the context of this church to whom Paul is writing to. Who are the Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians 2.14 tells us something of their situation. For you, brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. This church has been persecuted. This church has been accosted for believing in Christ. And Paul tells them, rejoice always. Rejoice in the midst of suffering, in the midst of affliction, Rejoice always. So when we think about this then, is what Paul telling us to do is just ignore our circumstances. And we just kind of uh, blank them out, repress them, and go about life in this kind of dull haze of like, I don't really understand what's going on. Is he advocating this kind of stoicism that lies about how we are really feeling? Is he telling us to smile and bear the pain? Is he telling us to say that everything is good when it is demonstrably not? No. We're not called to lie to God. We're not called to lie to ourselves. And we're not called to lie to others. So how do we rejoice always? Well, I gave the answer at the beginning. I said at the outset that joy is found in our circumstances. And the question is this, which circumstances? What is the joy that is set before us? Our joy is found in God. So we find joy in our Heavenly Father who loves us. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. That was 1 Thessalonians 1.4 We know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Or what Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. We find joy in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is returning for us. First Thessalonians 4. 16 to 18. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We find joy in the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit of such joy in us. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Or what it says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So if we understand who God is, if we understand what he has done for us, how can we not rejoice? God has shown us steadfast love. He has pursued us with love through Christ. He has given us his Holy Spirit to regenerate and renew us in love. First John tells us that God is love. And when we comprehend that to some degree, we must have joy. And the more we comprehend the truth that God is love, the greater our joy. And all of this will culminate on the day of the Lord when we will finally understand the measure of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ, you have a different perspective of the things that transpire on this earth. Romans 8.18 Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. 17 to 18, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The present moment is fleeting. Our lives on this earth are but vapor, smoke, here, but for the briefest of moments, indeed, I did a little math. If you're 20 years old, you are 0.99% of 2,022 years. You realize you haven't even lived 1% of the time since we, you know, we calculate since Jesus' uh, coming. If you're 40 years old, then you're 1.98%. If you're 80 years old, then you're 3.96%. So you're almost 4%. You've lived almost 4% since the time of Jesus. And if you're 122, which is apparently the oldest living person, then you're really hitting a high number. You're 6.03%. And what are your years compared to eternity? Next to zero. Next to zero. So that's why Paul calls these things momentary. He calls them light because the glory that is to be yours in Christ Jesus far outstrips all that you may suffer here and now. 
Do you understand this? The worst of pain that you may now experience will be such a far and distant memory and eternity that it bears not remembering or mentioning. And this is not a trite thing. But you realize if you're in Christ, if you believe in Christ, then everything that happens to you, every bit of it, is for your good. To conform you to the image of God. That's the promise of God, right? That's what God tells us in Romans chapter 8. So you're not called to fake happiness. You're called to rejoice always. So what does this mean for us? Because Paul here commends rejoicing. He, re- he says rejoice when life is going well, when we can easily see the blessings of God. And rejoice when life is not going well, when we can barely make out that God has any blessings at all. He says rejoice always. So brother or sister in Christ, what is your joy rooted in? If it is in this world, if it's in the immediate See of your circumstances, if it's in the things that you have, the jobs that you have, the, the friends that you have, your joy will come and go like the wind. It'll blow through strong sometimes and be barely a whisper at other times. What you will find is that such things make for disappointment because they cannot satisfy you. They cannot be for you what only God can be for you. Indeed, if you are in Christ, you know this to be true because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've experienced the joy of his salvation. You have reason to rejoice even in the most difficult of circumstances of life, even though you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because God is with you and he is there to protect and provide for you. Beloved of God, he will see you through. Romans 8, 38 through 39. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's Love, not abundance and not lack, not sin and not Satan, nothing. And so rejoice. If nothing else in your life you have reason to sing to God about, you have this one. God loves you and he has saved you. And he will bring you to his side for all eternity. He who promises faithful, he will do it. So sing, so lament, so pray, so praise, so offer thanksgiving, so bless his name, rejoice always. But for some of you, you have no reason to rejoice. Were God to call you this moment to account for your life, you would stand condemned. You are dead in your sin and you are not good enough No man is, save one, Christ Jesus. 
Christ Jesus came and lived the perfect life you were supposed to, died bearing God's wrath for his people's sin, rose victorious from the grave, defeating death and sin, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, awaiting the day when he will return and gather his people to his side. You can yet have cause for rejoicing, even in the midst of the worst of circumstances. You can rejoice in every circumstance of life, but only if you look to Jesus. So repent of your sins. Believe in Christ as the only Son of God, your only Savior and Lord. And that doesn't mean all the bad things go away. It doesn't mean you won't have hardship in this life. Indeed, as a Christian, you're actually promised more hardship than everyone else. But what it does mean is that there's a coming day of glory when, which will outstrip the worst and the best that this world has to offer. So repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe the gospel. Then rejoice. Let us pray. Oh, Father, God, indeed, what what cause we have to rejoice. Father, what cause we have to be filled with joy because of what you have done for us. Because though we were at war with you, though we were enemies of you, though we rebelled against you, you and your great love sent your son to buy us back out of sin, to make peace and to give life. Father, we have all cause to rejoice. And we confess, Lord God, that it is difficult to rejoice at times. It is difficult to rejoice because of the naturalness of our, the, the sinful naturalness, naturalness of our flesh that so uh, causes us to look elsewhere, to forget what you have done. We hear the whispers of Satan sometimes too much and too strongly, and we heed them more than we heed the word that is given unto us. And Father, we want, we want of those who are near to us, we want of those who are in our families, we want our co-workers and our friends. Father, we want this community around us to have cause to rejoice that even when they get a diagnosis of cancer, that they have cause to rejoice. When their life is at its end, they have cause to rejoice. And we know, Father, that that can only be when we are in right relationship with you. That can only be when we trust in Christ as our Savior. Oh, Father, we pray that we would comprehend this command to rejoice always. That we may direct others to you. That we might give glory to you. That others might look upon us and ask the question, What is the reason for the hope that is within you? And we might boldly declare Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, help us to rejoice and do that work within those who need you 
Father, send your Holy Spirit to regenerate those who do not know you, that they might have cause to rejoice always. We pray this unto you, our Lord, our God, in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.